Again, thanks for uh, letting me up here, guys. Uh, it's been a while. We're continuing our summer series. And right, Randy, over here? Over there? No, right here. Okay. On obedience to God. And this is about God's sovereignty empowering us to obey. Now, the story of Gideon kind of goes like this. There's an awful lot of verses, and the, the particular portions that I'm focusing on are kind of spread out between two, two chapters. But basically, Gideon is just a regular guy, and Israel has fallen into sin, so God sent the Midianites in, and the Midianites are threatening them and, and uh, causing trouble for them. So God sends an angel to talk to Midian to tell him that he is to lead the Israelites against this, this army and to destroy them. And Gideon's like, no way. And, and God has to do some mighty works in order to get him to, uh, to obey and to listen to him and to follow him. Yes. So I, I've kind of thought that, you know, there has to be more to salvation or more to relationship with God than just salvation. There has to be some other greater aspect that's involved. There's got to be a catch. But it's kind of like yes and no in, in regards to the catch. We all have to do, uh, we all have to confess, confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10.9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But in the believer, what's going on within us is this kind of grace-filled sanctification, evolution to revolution through the Holy Ghost inside of us, reviving us. And Chick says, or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace that's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So this scripture is important because what it's talking about here is that God is putting a spirit within us that yearns jealously against the spirit of this world, the spirit of the world that tries to get us to do the, uh, live the lives that we're not supposed to live as believers to try to drive us into bad thinking patterns and bad ways of approaching life that lead us into sin. But we'll get to more of this later. What about our guy Gideon? Good old Gideon. Gideon, just a regular guy with Israel. And again, Israel had fallen into sin, so God gave the Israelites into the hands of the Midianites. And starting with Judges 6, 11, and 12, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah, that belonged to Joash the Ibezerite, Ibezerite, <laughs> where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And then an angel showed up. These angels back in the day were the messengers of God. The angel said, appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior, God spoke life over Gideon. God, in his love, gives Gideon a really spiritual title, warrior. We know what warrior means to us in this generation, but back then it meant battle. It meant bloodshed. It meant fighting. What Gideon, what he does in battle in this story, we do on our knees. God sees in us what at times we can't see, or we just refuse to look or believe what he says over us. How many know that God calls us his children? 
How many of us kind of struggle with that sometimes? That's, that's a tough title to take on. God, what does it look like to be your kid? You just spoke that over me, just like you spoke over Gideon that he's a warrior, and you're calling me your child. What does that mean to me? What does that look like? So Gideon, like us in our own hearts, he too is struggling. So what happened to his old title? What happened to being a wheat thresher, threshering, or threshing, or whatever it's called? Through what God speaks over us in his sovereignty, we are. God can call us whatever he wants in whatever mode of life that we're in. What was Gideon doing at the time when the angel spoke to him? He was working. Sometimes we're called to get out of our comfort zones, yes, even at work, and talk to people about God. Even though the people that are over us on our jobs say it's a bad thing, how can you resist though? How can you say, this, this God, this king, this warrior that's alive in my life, who am I to deny him for, and the relationship he can have with other people? Who are them to tell me I can't talk to somebody else about God? God is very important in our lives, and we need to have the courage and the energy to share that. And we need God in his sovereignty, in his love, to guide us and strengthen us along the path of everything that we do in our lives, from our job to witnessing to, yes, even being in relationship with other people. We need God's strength. We need him in our hearts every day. So Gideon kind of has a slight identity crisis. Uh, but what is sovereignty? Sovereign is a noun. It's a, it, it means a, a supreme ruler, possessing supreme or ultimate power. God is sovereign. He can be moved to respond through our prayers, but in the end, he's the one that makes the decisions. The creator of the universe, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the ultimate authority. And in Gideon's case, God clothed Gideon to do this particular job, to achieve his purposes by empowering him through God and his sovereignness in his, I am God, I make my own decisions, said that in love, I'm going to help Gideon and show my strengths to the rest of the world to defeat this army. So, but Gideon kind of responds differently than others in God's, God's word. How many times has have God asked you to do something and you're kind of like, huh? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, this, this does happen. But see, we as believers need to kind of change our focus a little bit. We need to kind of respond more like other great biblical leaders in the Bible, like Mary. Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is when the angel said that she was going to be carrying Jesus. Can you imagine that? Be it unto me, Lord, I'm going to be pregnant with your kid, and bang, no problem. A painful thing, a harsh reality. But in her heart, she said, be it unto me. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, said, sure, God, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, him, Isaiah, said, send me. But Gideon doubted, like all of us do, and he wanted proof, he wanted a sign. So Gideon gets scared. Think of it. He's thinking of fighting a giant army. And he's used to being a thresher, you know, just breaking up the wheat every day. This is my job. This is what I do. See, we too, like Gideon, can be called out of our comfort zones. A lot, actually. In our daily lives, we are called to pray. And this, folks, this, is, this can be a real challenge. Finding prayer time. How many people here struggle to find time in prayer every day? 
A lot of us do. Do you notice how sometimes when you pray, everything goes nuts? With me, the cats start meowing, the dog barks, the phone rings. This too can be a challenge in and of itself, even praying. But see, in, in this situation, in our lives, we are taking on, in our prayer life, we are taking on the world, Satan, and our own flesh, our own thoughts. We do battle with, mostly up here. We are called to this warrior mode ourselves to do battle in prayer and to wrestle with God, the concepts that God is asking us to live by to pray into our own mission field, to, to pray for our neighbors to come to Christ, to pray for us to grow and change, to be the royal priests that he's called us to be. Moving on, Gideon asked, well, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. This didn't make sense, God. The Lord answered, I'll be with you, and you'll strike down all the Midianites together. I mean, he, he couldn't believe he, he could do it. I remember one time when I was in uh, infantry school, and we had this obstacle course that we had to climb, and there was this big old wall with a rope hanging from it. And, of course, the typical yelling drill sergeant right next to the wall screaming us up there. I didn't think I could do it, but I did. Sometimes we, we, we don't know what we are capable of, and we need... I, I don't want to relate God to a drill sergeant, but <laughs> sometimes we need... We need someone there to guide us along and hold, hold our hand. I remember there was this one drill sergeant. Now, I'll never forget it. It was, it was the first time they were integrating uh, female platoons in with the men. And one poor female soldier was crying. She couldn't do it. That drill sergeant, she went up a little bit, and she was crying. The drill sergeant crawled up there with her. He was just yelling at her, but also, you know, exhorting her to keep going. He stood right there with her all the way up over the top and down the other side. This is kind of like God is with us in our situations. But we need to be able to have, we need to keep ourselves away from implosion and have enough structure in us of prayer and scripture that we can make it and overcome the obstacles so we don't put ourselves in a position like Gideon was in, where God had to, had to do this after this after this before he would believe and do what he was called to do. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. And this is when we get into difficult situations like this. This is where we have to say, but God, but God. We have to say to ourselves, God says it is written that he will be with me. When I ask for Jesus to come into my heart, I know he's here. I can feel him. I can feel him, and this is the, your testimony to the world. I know he's here because he's right here. Don't tell me there is no God. I talk to him every day. He's sitting with me. He stands by my side. He's faithful and loving and kind. He will be with me. God says it over and over again to us in, a word, in his word. It's a promise. Exodus 3.12, certainly I'll be with you. Genesis 28:15 I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Can you feel that in your heart? I will not leave you alone until I have done what I have promised you. Amazing, amazing. The God of the universe, measly o less, vapors in the wind as far as he's concerned, loves us enough to speak love over us and guide us. Not like an earthly father. This is your eternal father. 
This father has so much love that he can call me the apple of his eye, and he can call you the apple of his eye, and you the apple, of, and all of us in here the apples. Of, he has the ability to love like that. We are the apples of his eyes. So from that, he can say this because he's sovereign. He's God. He has this ability to look after us and, and to make these decisions uh, and help us out in our lives. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. When we are questioning, we need to ask God for more trust in him. This, is part, this will keep us from implosion. Come boldly to the throne of grace and ask, God, help me to trust you more. Pray into the situation, people of God. Pray into your lives. Pray into the hearts of your children. Pray for them every day. Pray, 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 pray. This is so important. And remember the promises that God has spoken over you. Remember if you ever had prophetic words spoken over, over you. You need to think on those things and recall God's goodness. You need to go to the Ebenezer's in your life where God has done wonderful works and remember these things. You need to keep yourself up upright and going hallelujah so but even though we're spirit-filled people now we still doubt whether we're clothed in the spirit like Gideon or filled with the spirit in our own personal Pentecost we still have our own using the Apostle Paul's Paul's word hearts that work against the spirit in us the heart in the Apostle Paul's mind or in the definition of the early Greek that that was used in is your mind your will and your emotions. It's the Greek word cardia. But the, the prophet, uh, oops, getting back back here. The prophet Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand that? You know, the world tries to get us to rely on ourselves and, or, or on other people to, to say to ourselves, I'm okay, I'm good, there's nothing wrong with me, I'm fine. That's not what God's word says. And no, I'm not speaking over you in a negative, punishing kind of way. I'm speaking the truth. The heart is deceitful. Our hearts are deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Only God can cure us. Gideon wants a sign. Oh, this is a little... Did he, did, there it is. <laughs> one time uh, I, had, I was at like an intercessors conference, and one guy was saying that uh, God really spoke to him when a rainbow when he was driving along and a rainbow just went into him and God spoke to him like in a mighty way. And I'm like, no way, that can't be. Does that ever happen? Well, it happened to me twice. Driving to Clear Lake, I went through the end of a rainbow twice and I, I just, God kind of humbled me in that position. I'm like, okay, I didn't mean to make fun of that guy, God. Okay, he was right, I get it. It, it was real, it was real, okay. Moving on, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, now this, this sounds a lot like something we would say, or we would ask God to do a miraculous thing. If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I'll know that you'll save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew a bowl full of water. Now, there have been sermons that have been preached just on this particular uh, uh, topic, but the main theme in this, in this story is God's sovereignty, not the fleece or the miraculous. Jesus warned us that sometimes miraculous signs are not enough to, to get people to believe. How many people uh, know the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? 
If you remember that story, the rich man goes into Sheol, and he's, seeing, he's feeling tortured and bad, and he's talking to Father Abraham, and he says, look, I want to go up and, and tell my brothers and sisters that it's like this. Hey, guys, you got to get your life together. I mean, this is real down here. This is really happening. And he's talking to Father Abraham, and he says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead, he was talking about himself, goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Like we often do, Gideon still didn't believe. Like, like in this story, people can be hard-hearted, as we can be. And so Gideon said, okay, God, do that again. That was really cool. He needed a change of heart from God himself. How am I doing, hon? Good. All right. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. See, we need to be obedient. We need to be, we need to be at a point where we're trusting God so much that we are like Jesus at the end of the boat with the disciples. Remember that story, guys? He's over there sleeping, and the, apost the, the disciples are freaking up. Jesus, Jesus, wake up. This is going crazy. Look, we're, gonna, we're all going to die. What's Jesus doing? He's sleeping because he trusted God. He trusted God. The Holy Spirit already had a strong, firm foundation in him. And this is the kind of foundation that as Christians, little Christ, they used to call us in the first century, as Christians, we need to be like Jesus. But we need to grow that. We need to keep expanding outward, not being crushed by the world and our thoughts and our negativity, but opening up and getting stronger and stronger in the Lord through reading the Bible, through spending time in prayer with him. Even though we can't see the future or grasp the gravity of the situation at hand, we need to be humble and in prayer about the matter. Signs have to be pretty mighty sometimes before they impact our hearts. The Bible says that God clothes Gideon with the spirit, the Hebrew word labash. This might sound like a positive thing. However, theologian D.L. Block says, this spirit of Yahweh's clothing of Gideon does not presuppose any particular level of spirituality on the part of the recipient. Get that. He didn't have to be a super priest. He didn't have to be in prayer all the time. He didn't have to be, he could be as lowly as can be. To the contrary, this divine intrusion into human experience seems to graphically describe God's arresting of men ill-disposed towards resolving Israel's problems. How many people here feel like they're ill-disposed to handle a lot of situations in life. Yeah, this, this, is the, this is the place that Gideon was coming from. But God, in his sovereignty, said, I'm going to do a work through Gideon. I'm going to make it happen through this man. This is the man that I choose. Why? I'm sovereign. I make my own decisions. God does the equipping for Gideon. God chose someone to clothe that didn't have the heart, faith, or understanding of God to do the job. See, we need to be making the right choices in our life, and we need to make choices that are more trustworthy. Sin can pull us away from trust. Genesis 4, 7 says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. 
It's about knowing God's word. It's about making the right choices, good and humble choices. It's about filling yourself with the Holy Spirit every day and hanging on to God for dear, dear life. Hang on to God for dear life. Be totally dependent on him, not on this world. This is fleeting, this is going away. But God is eternal and we need to look at him for our strength because only he has the answers that we need. Even though we, like Gideon, might not feel capable or believe in our abilities, God called us to a priesthood to bring life and peace. So we have Gideon that's clothed with righteousness uh, with, with God over here on the left, and we have us in our royal priesthood. Listen to what Peter says. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.11 says, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Unlike Gideon who doubted, we take up the role of our Holy Ghost inspired priesthood to reconcile, to love, and to bless, and we follow the path of our high priest Jesus like the book of Hebrews talks about him. Hear the cry of the Holy Spirit through the prophet Malachi. And now, O priest, that's all of us in here, this commandment is for you. The law of truth was in his mouth, in our mouths, and injustice was not found on his lips. This is the priest back in the days of the Levites before they had fallen. Was injustice found on our lips at all? He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. As a priest, have I turned anybody away from iniquity lately? Have I walked in peace and equity? No, I'm not talking about worldly equity. I'm not talking about equity that says, okay, you can have your son or daughter change their gender. That's fine. And, and you need to be okay with that. We need to, to, to treat everybody on that same equitable level. No, this is about equity as from a love-based standpoint, standing on God's truth, not the world's truth. Amen. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people seek the law from his mouth. Have I kept knowledge on my lips as a priest? Are we, are we doing this? For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Are we being messengers? Are we walking in our priesthood? We are called to the royal priesthood of his loving believers who obey. Jesus put it greatly. He said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me. Now that's obedience in a nutshell. That's, that's priestly behavior. And we are called and vacuumed into this vortex. Of, this, pardon the language, guys. There's a vacuum cleaner right next to my desk while I was typing this up. And I just saw a vacuum. I said, vacuum? Okay, vortex. Of holiness and obedience. That grace-filled sanctification, evolution to revolution. Filled, God being filled with grace. As I pray for his sanctification and I put before him my life and I say, God, change me. This evolves my heart. I get sanctified. I, I evolve and I grow. And there's a revolution that's going on in my heart, just like the scripture in James says that, that fights against the world. Hebrews 5, 7 says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Reverent submission. Am I in a place of reverent submission to God? What does that look like? How do I live in reverent submission to him? 
Well, we can by interceding and praying for people. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. There's Jesus interceding for us. And we need to follow in his example by praying for others to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ because that is our best spiritual warfare that we can have, to pray people into God's kingdom, to bring people into Jesus' arms. And then and only then, when they choose to cooperate with him, can there be real change in people's lives, real changed lives. This scripture shows us his current role at the right hand of the Father. It says he always lives to intercede for them. If it was his death that did the intercession, wouldn't the writer of Hebrews have said that? This scripture is pointing to his current role as interceding for us. He always lives to intercede for us. Well, wait a minute, didn't he die? But no, he rose again, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's still alive. It wasn't just the act on the cross. Yeah, that did intercede for mankind if we choose to accept it, but he's still praying for us. He's still interceding for us. He is still speaking life over into us, giving us a new identity. And Jesus describes this, this process of communication that's going on between the Trinity. The Holy Spirit will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. How does he make it known to you? Prayer. You pray. You listen to God's response to you. Reading God's word. Open up the Bible. Let him tell you how to live your life. Say, God, do we really need big messes in our lives to get us to submit to him? What's up with that? Why, why do we need a big mess in our lives before we're ready to turn around? I still can't understand that to the day. I'm the same way. It's so aggravating. Why does all the stuff have to roll downhill and I have to get run over by it before I wake up and say, oh, man, man, I really need God. He will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And this is done through prayer. So from a prayer-filled life and within our royal priesthood roles, we turn away from what the world does and follow God's word and his spirit. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. This means that, that you have it in your mind when you read scripture and when you're, you're doing things and you're talking with God and you're asking God, is this okay? Am I doing this right? And you get an answer one way or another if it's uh, his spirit within you or if it's opening up the Bible and reading it, you'll get to see. He'll tell you yes or no. This is part of that testing process. And you will find out what's pleasing to him. So, like I said earlier, one way to get filled up is to listen to the Spirit through God's Word when He convicts us of sin. And from that, we plead with God for drastic changes in our hearts coming from our prayers, prayers that change our behavior. And in that change, the humility to obey, to be unlike Gideon, but in our royal priesthood, we now have an ability to, to obey God because we know Him better. We talk to Him. We read His Word all the time. We make this commitment to be humble. We put ourselves in what we want aside and put what God wants first. What does this sound like to some people? Any ideas? Take a searching and fearless... Bingo. There you have it. 
Take a searching and fearless inventory of your thoughts and your behaviors. This is humility, that constant reflection with yourself. Hey, am I doing this right, God? Is, is this what you want from me? We put ourselves and what we want aside and put what God wants first. So moving on with the story, God challenges Israel's pride by sifting down the numbers of the uh, Israelite army and judges. Judges chapter 7, so the Israelites wouldn't boast in their own numbers to say that, oh, we have this giant army and we conquer them. God's like, no, you're going to see what I can do. And God does this through his communication and sovereign activity with, with Gideon. This communication is prayer, talking to God, prayer, talking to God. But we need to come from more of a, a place of being Humble. God hates pride. That's the opposite of humility. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So this, we have to watch what we say. We have to watch what we do. But God listens to the humble. Isaiah 57. For thus says the high and lofty one, one who inhabits eternity. Hallelujah. Whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We come from a place of humility when we approach God. We work at humility in our lives. Isaiah chapter 2, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of man shall be humbled. Oops, go back. Oops, too far forward. Oops, wait a minute, clicker. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Oops. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Amen. Amen. So what is Pride. It's a feeling of deep pleasure, satisfaction from one's own achievements. The achievements of those with whom one is closely associated or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. I can do this. I can do that. I'm really good at that. Hey, gee, I can do this great. The opposite of that is humility. Now, I had to really poke around to get the definition of humility. I had to go to the Bible encyclopedia because today's dictionaries just don't spell it out pretty well. This virtue, humility, is susceptible of gross misunderstanding. Let it be said flatly, therefore, that biblical humility is not the inverted conceit which disguises itself as lowliness, known as false humility. It's that attitude which results from a fearlessly honest, searching fearless mortal inventory, <laughs> self-appraisal, a self-appraisal which is neither minimized one's achievements nor exaggerates one's failures. Humility is not the subtle masochism which enjoys its own debasement, beating itself up all the time, but the humble person, in short, the faithful disciple, fights a continual battle against that pride which is the root of sin, that egoism which breeds self-centeredness, self-exaltation, self-will, self-sufficiency, self-confidence, self-self-self-self-self, and hence self-delusion with its ultimate fruit of self-frustration and despair. And as we keep winning the battle against pride and presumption, we mature into holiness which flourishes only in the soil of humility. But Gideon's still not there yet. He's still not in that place of humility, so God in his love for Gideon and in his sovereignty sends a miracle his way. God tells Gideon to get up and go to the enemy's camp. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura's servant went down to the outpost of the camp. Gideon arrived just as the man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp, 
It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing more than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And it happened. God in his sovereignty worked a miraculous situation in Gideon's life to give him victory. God in his sovereignty in our priestly roles speaks with us and edifies us and encourages us every day. And we take on that priestly role to worship God, to give him thanks. Gideon worships. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down in worship. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, we know, we know that God can do these kind of things in our lives. But we also need to reflect on that at times and tell other people, Hey, do you know what God did the other day in my life? It was really cool. Because at least in that, you're testifying in a way to the existence of God in a world that says there is no God. And number two, you're bringing joy and you're bringing miraculous situations into other people's lives so they can scratch their head and at least, at least, the very least, say, um, yeah, really? Is there a God? Boy, that was a weird story. At least it gets them thinking, thinking about God. So we've talked about God's sovereignty and Gideon, pride and humility. Let's talk about the importance of the content of our prayers that helps us with our prayer structure leading us to maturity in Christ. Now, some of you have probably already heard me say, and I think some of my Friday people have heard me talk about this before in our home group. First um, Timothy 2, 1 through 4, provides us with a theology of prayer, a structure of prayer. The Apostle Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful, sounds like the priest life, right, to bring peace, peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved to come to a knowledge of truth. So our prayers, need, we need to be in intercession. We need, there's, there's a, a, a missional aspect of it in here which because we're, we're bringing people to the knowledge of truth but to make petitions and prayers and intercessions for all people. There's a theology of, the, of prayer. This is the great commitment of prayer. You've heard of the great commission and the great commandment. This is the great commitment of prayer. So let's talk about that for a moment. Let's start with Psalm 1. Now I'm going to teach you something that I've learned that, that's been really helpful. How am I doing, guys? I'll try to finish up soon. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. When I read this, I made, it made me really think about scorning. I mean, where, where did I find scornfulness in my own life? I found it in my own sarcasm. And I started asking myself, man, I'm, I'm being a scorner right here. We're called not to walk into that even at times when it's in us. We don't go by that. We say, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow his way nor sits in the seat of the scornful. This is behavioral, this is observable, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates on it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. But the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Some storm happens in their life and they're through with their faith. 
Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's look at this again. Blessed, this is the happy life. This is the praying life. Results in a man or a woman who walks, stands, sits in righteous counsel. Why? Because their delight is in the law of the Lord. This is praying scripture. This is praying God's word back to God. Reading the scripture and say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God, am I in that world? Do you love me? That whosoever believes in him will not perish. God, am I going to perish? Is this true? That kind of prayer. You take the scripture and you pray it back to the Lord. You read the word. You think about how it applies to you. And you pray it back to God. Talk to God about it, what he says in his word. He shall be like a, a tree planted by the rivers of water. This is, this is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. What was a fruit-producing tree in Lebanon back in those days? The olive tree. Oil, anointing. This is talking about the anointing of God in prayer. He will bring forth fruit in its season, whose leaf shall also not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. This is the happy life. This is the praying life. We're praying against implosion. We're building us up with the Holy Spirit and with Scripture, and we're, we're standing firm in our faith. The ungodly shall not stand, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The ungodly will perish. Again, this is the way of prayer, of living, of navigating life out of prayerfully considered Scripture. Psalm 1 is Psalm 1. It sets the trajectory for the book of Psalms. Psalm 2, you have the nations raging against God. Psalm 3, you have the treacherous behavior of his son, Abelon. How, how in the world, when you've got family problems and you have world issues going on, how do you navigate life? Psalm 1 sets the trajectory. You pray the Bible. You pray Scripture. Uh, let's, let's take a look at uh, what Jesus talks about kind of along the same lines. In Matthew 7, we know that uh, Matthew 5 is, through 7 is the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. You, but you will know them by their fruits. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. By their fruits, you will know them. So you have good, good tree and good fruit and bad tree and bad fruit. So we have this concept of roots, roots that are deep enough to stand the storms of life. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does behavior, the will of my Father, many will say, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and have done many wonders in your name? I will declare to them, I never knew you. You were never intimate with me. You were never intimate with me. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness meaning we were never close, close to him because we didn't obey. Jesus told us, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. We in our royal priesthood are loving Christ and obeying what he's asking us to do. Where Gideon had to be uh, at a divine, miraculous situation to get him to go, we are energizing ourselves like the Energizer Bunny, and we're filling up with Scripture on our little Scripture batteries, our spirit batteries, and we're moving forward like the, like the rabbit. That's a pretty bad analogy. Oh, well. 
Anyway. Back to Matthew. Therefore, whoever hears these things and does them, this is behavioral, I will liken him to a wise man who's built his house on the rock. Now, here's the depth issue, the foundation issue. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Everyone who hears and does not do will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and great was its fall. So there's that foundation issue, that, that root issue. We have to have a strong foundation in our hearts. So we have three great enemies that, that come against us. We know we have the winds and storms of this world that blow against us, but we also have a very real adversary, Satan. Jesus says he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But when disorder comes whether it's from the world, the trials and the challenges that come from living in a fallen world, or whether it's from temptation, Satan's temptations. His two great weapons are deceptions, wrong choices, bad advice, and accusation, condemnation, and guilt. This is the push and pull of Satan in our lives. But in both cases, whether it's China's about to invade Taiwan, or Satan's trying to, to tempt me to... Uh, do something that I'm really not supposed to do, something or someone outside ourselves is setting our prayer agenda. In both cases, our problems, our prayers obsess with problems or principalities asking, God, where are you in all this? We know we're going to have spiritual warfare that we need to do. We know that. Uh, we also know that we'll petition. We have to. The Apostle Paul just said it in his word in the Great commit, com, uh, Commitment. But we... We have to move ourselves away where we're always beating ourselves up with bad news and bad happenings and bad situations going on in our life. We have to focus away from, God, where are you in all this? So, again, we're the trees and we don't want to wither. We want to be firm. We want to be rooted well. We want to have roots deep enough so the storms of life won't take us out. So we have the troubles of life and we have a very real adversary. But the greatest challenge is not the world, and it's not the adversary. The greatest enemy is the flesh. It's the enemy within. It's the enemy that affects the quality and the root of the fruit of my life. So without healthy roots, there's not healthy fruit. It's the house and the foundation that really, really matter. It's the roots of the tree. So the great front on which spiritual warfare is fought is within. It's actually in our minds. So we know that we have the world blowing against us and Satan trying to destroy us. These are very real things. But the first movement in healthy prayer is not the battle with either of those. The primary focus has to be praying yourself full of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The world and Satan are secondary issues. We know they're going to be there. There will be times where you have to do some uh, uh, petitioning. There's a lot of that going on. There will be times when we have to uh, uh, do some spiritual warfare and pray against the attacks of Satan. There will be prayer request issues. But there need, there's a great need for missional prayer as well. But you have to be healthy enough to do that kind of praying. Looking at this a little differently, will is a matter of obedience. How do I bind my will to God's will? This is what Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, whom art in heaven... 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I bind my will with God's will so I can act in godly, obedient, biblical ways. This is life transforming prayer, prayer that will change your life. Life transformation. What do I think? What do I believe? This is not faith. This is the faith that comes out of the Word of God. You pray the Bible, and as I said earlier, you say to yourself, it is written, and your feelings will follow your beliefs and behaviors. Rejoicing is a command. Give thanks is a command. So our prayer focus must shift to develop roots in the soil of the Word of God, drawing on the deep waters of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We know we will have to do spiritual warfare, but we need to transform our lives through praying scripture. I'm nurturing my soul in prayer in order to meet the challenges of a fallen world and a very real enemy, but the first priority is to get a healthy, vibrant spirit full of the word of God, full of the life of God and standing tall in our priesthood from this life of prayer we become and rise up and we're able to take on the enemy and we're able to keep from imploding and we're able to love our God as we're supposed to and we're able to push on because we're standing in our priesthood and we're praying right and we're reflecting on scripture and we're loving God the way that we're called to love God full of the life of God that takes us to a greater level of fearful, reverent submission to him, a higher ground. We will be standing on higher ground. Not that we're above anybody or better anybody than anybody, but we're standing on higher ground. And a healthy soul, my will, my acts, my behavior, my faith, my mind, my thinking, my believing, the faith, what do I believe? The Word of God. So unlike Gideon, we have the Bible, and we grow from praying it to a greater maturity, so we trust God enough not to need him to, to flip the fleece over and make it wet on the other side. And enough so we don't need a sign. My emotions, my, my mood, my affect, all of these come out of a healthy life of prayer. Content, Bible-based prayer becoming less like Gideon, more like our high priest. Let's pray. Father, I pray that, that let your will be done in our lives, Lord. Let your will be done. Help us to stand tall in our priestly robes. Help us to, to, to feel the burden of the weight of that robe from the intercession that you've called us to do that you've called us to carry prayers for other people, that you've called us to burden our hearts with the burdens that burden other people's hearts and to put it back on your lap, Lord, and to let go of us. Give us the strength, God, to let go of it, to let go of the weight of that burden. Father, give us the ability to petition. Help us to respond to those emails that Randy sends out about prayer requests. Help us to be faithful to do that. Help us to be faithful to lift up the word of God in front of us and pray scripture every day so we're strengthened. Hallelujah, we're strengthened. Hallelujah, we're more righteous and we're more holy all because of what you did because you were sovereign and you were faithful to complete what you promised that you would do in us. You are going to do it, Lord, and we'll put our faith in that in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Amen.